Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have created all things for your glory, that we look out and see the flowers in the field, all of them arrayed in glory and splendor. Lord, pointing to those, the one who has created all things for your glory. Lord, but as the grass withers and the flowers fade from season to season, Lord, we realize that this world is but temporary. Lord, the mountains will not last, but your words will last forever. We pray that we would fix our eyes upon your lasting word, that we would not be taken up and, and in our time and worries of this world, what is here today and what will be gone tomorrow but you would help us to be able to meditate on what is eternal. Lord, that your word stands forever. Help us to be able to build a firm foundation, not on what is lasting, the sands of the shore of this world, but the rock, your word. Help us to meditate on it, write it upon our hearts, know it in our minds, to be able to serve and do what you require in your law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 43. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, and we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, You shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of your choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arrives. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. 
the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin, and arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal, and make ready for the men uh, are to dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph told him, and he brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, Is this because of the money which was placed in our sacks the first time that we are brought in? so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down for the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they washed their feet, and when he had began, given their donkey's fodder, he prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. And they heard that they would eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them. And they bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to you. His youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. As I've mentioned before, the story of Joseph is quite a simple one. The outline is really quite simple. From chapter 37, all the uh, tribe of Israel, all the, uh, jo- jo- Jacob and his, his sons, all dwell in the land of Hebron. They all are in the promised land, within the borders. But the end, they are not. They are in Egypt. That towards the beginning of 
of Exodus, we find that the Israelites are now in Egypt. Now, this is the simple fact that it, it is a story of how they went from being within the promised land now to dwelling in Egypt. But in this story, it is much more complex than that. We see the masterful hand of God's providence gently guiding what we find to be at the end of chapter 46, the number of 70, moving from that promised land now to be able to dwell in Egypt. And here we see that progression once more. In chapter 43, we see yet another brother go to Egypt. That all 12 of Jacob's sons, Israel's sons, are now in the land of Egypt. That we see God's gracious hand guiding his people to Egypt to be able to save their lives, to be able to preserve their lives. But as I said, it is simple in an outline. It's quite complex to see how God's sovereign hand guides them. And the first thing that we see in this chapter is stubborn Jacob in the first ten verses. Stubborn Jacob in the first ten verses. Now Jacob has been known in the later stages of his life to be able to let his love for Rachel affect his parenting. He did nothing when he heard of the assault of Dinah, his daughter. His apathy most likely had them live in that region. But moreover, his love sought the favor of the children of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And even at the end of chapter 42, in his final words, Jacob says, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Here, before all of his other brothers, Jacob says that Benjamin is my only son left. That he, as we see in this chapter, death is upon their door. But he would rather everyone die than to lose his son, Benjamin. Jacob is close to 126 years old, 128 years old, depending on how far through. We know that uh, when they move there in chapter 46, that is two years into the seven-year famine. But depending on how close they are to the first and the beginning of this famine, we do not know. And also that we don't know that uh, the, the, the years of plenty were outside of Egypt. The seven years of plenty might have been within the, the, the boundaries of Egypt, but other countries might have had the beginnings of a famine long before even uh, the plenty finished and the years of famine in Egypt began. So he, he moves, he dies at the age of 147. They're up to two, two years there. So he's probably about 126, 128. But Jacob was not willing to be able to send Benjamin, even to be able to save his family. As Judah explains, that he says in verse 8, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. 
This came to a point where it's life or death. But here is Jacob, stubborn, unwilling to be able to send even just one son to be able to have all of his children, all of his grandchildren to be able to survive. And that's where we see in verse 1 that this famine was severe in the land. This famine has been widespread throughout all the nations. Not just Egypt, but throughout all the nations around. And this famine continues. The progression gets worse. It's no longer just this famine. It's a severe famine. Now if you know how long a famine is going to be, you might be able to be able to plan. It's just like retirement. It's easy to be able to know how to spend your retirement money if you know exactly when you're going to die. However, if you're going to live a long life, you need a a large amount of money to be able to survive for the years ahead. If you know what type of, uh, if you're going to need long-term care for a long amount of time, planning retirement would be easy. But so too with a famine. You do not know how long a famine is going to go, so therefore it's hard to be able to plan. Now, Jacob is maybe hoping that this famine would, continue, uh, would cease anytime soon. Maybe even praying it would end. But they continue to run out of food. And the situation is so dire that even the money that they have, money seems to be no problem for Jacob. But they cannot even go anywhere just to be able to buy food. Now, it's hard for us even to be able to imagine We see inflation and even recent years, shortages of certain foods or or things. However, it never has come to the point where we are unable to put some form of food on our table. That it hasn't got to the point where we're unable to buy food to be able to survive. Let alone having to travel such a distance just to be able to buy food. It would be like us having to travel to Indianapolis in Indiana just to buy bread. It's unlikely for us to be able to think about. But Jacob begins and says, well, we'll we'll go back to Egypt to be able to buy some more food. But Judah steps up. Judah now takes the role as the leader. And he points out that this man that they met, Zaphnath-Paneah, who spoke harshly with them. He said that you will not return, you will not be able to see my face unless your brother comes with you. He spells it quite clearly. You want us to go, we're happy to go, but we need to take Benjamin with us. But again, Jacob is stubborn. Jacob is unwilling. He blames his sons. He doesn't blame himself. Not saying that Jacob is at fault, but he's quick to be able to blame his sons. That you are the ones who told them that I have another son. But Jacob, uh, Judah, again, points out that Joseph began all asking all these questions. They do not know it's Joseph, Zephnaphpaneah, or this man as they refer to him. In verse 7, we find out more about this former meeting when they went to Egypt previously. When he asked questions about, is your father alive? Do you have another brother? And they answered the questions. They did not know the outcome that he would end up saying, you were to bring down our brother. 
Now Joseph, as we recall, he still remembers his father and his brothers. Maybe once he had forgotten them, as he had named his son. Maybe once he had forgotten them, but now he remembers them once more. But Judah remains clear. Judah says in verses 8 to 10, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. He says, I will take him. This is the only way we are going to get food. This is the only way we are going to be able to survive. But he, he does something. Quite astonishing here, considering who Judah is a few chapters back. But Judah says that I will be a pledge for his safety, Benjamin's safety. From my hands you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now been, have returned twice. Now here is, is somewhat of a strange but a beautiful image as we see. This is the first image that we see in all of Scripture of the promise of someone else being willing to take the place and the blame of another. Now, we've seen previously that substitutionary atonement type image of, of the ram being sacrificed instead of Isaac. But the ram was not willing, did not raise his hand. But here, Judah is willing to be able to raise his hand, to be able to place his life on the line. Now, previously, Reuben had said somewhat of a similar thing, but he had not offered his own life. He had offered the life of his two sons. I think Reuben's promise is at best hyperbole. At worst, I think it is a foolish vow. And Reuben was most often focusing on, on Jacob's grief of losing his sons. But here Judah is willing to be able to take his own life into his hands. Now some scholars think that this statement of Judah is a type of Christ in this passage. Now, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm very cautious to be able to use this terminology of type. Judah is a type of Christ, as we see uh, the blessing of Judah. But I think here you might say that this is more of something of an allusion to Christ, not a specific type. But during all of this, you see that Judah is very rational, level-headed in discussing this with his stubborn father. But as we see that this conversation probably took on a large amount of time. That Judah finishes in verse 10. If we had not delayed, we had have now returned twice. That Judah is postponing the inevitable. Maybe hoping that the famine would end. This could be at least two to three months, if not longer. Plus the original supply, it could have been half a year or more since they seek to be able to return. All this time, Simeon is back in Egypt and Judah is postponing this inevitable thing that needs to happen. But we do see a change. Stubborn Jacob has a change of heart. You might say then he turns to steadfast Jacob. 
in verses 11 to 15. Finally, whether his a change of heart or whether he realizes he has no other options, he explains, let it be so. However, even during this time, I think you see Jacob, all of his faults and his flaws. And throughout these pages, yet you see him in these few pages utter a tremendous blessing towards his son as they depart. That he finally says, take your brother. But in verse 14, he utters a blessing upon his sons as they leave. May God Almighty grant you mercy before that man or the man. And may he send back your other brother. Now, just before we continue, just notice. He does not say that he may send back my son. Or that he does not say that he would send back Simeon. He names Benjamin specifically. But he does not name Simeon. And he does not claim Simeon as his own son. He, Simeon is known as your brother. Again, this uh, favoritism, I think, you see in, even in the way he communicates. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This echoes back that he was bereaved once before. In verse 36 of chapter 42. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. But yet there's a change. There's a change, something in God's hand of providence, God's forceful hand of providence to be able to get them to go to Egypt, whatever it may be, there is a change. It might be that he recalled back in Bethel in chapter 35 as he come back from Padam Aran and he was blessed by God and God said to him, your name is Jacob no longer shall your name be called Jacob but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. At this point, no kings have come from his body. He, has not, he is not a nation. His brothers, when they came to Egypt and met with Joseph, Zephnath Paneah, they said, we are but just 11 brothers. We are no nation. But whatever reasons, Jacob here utters the word, a hard prayer to be able to pray that your will be done. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. That your will be done, God. If the Lord through his providence is to bereave me of my children, then so it be, Lord. But then they leave. And they prepare to be able to meet with Joseph in verses 16 to 25. Joseph sees his brothers being Benjamin 
Your honest claim, as they stated, that we are honest men, has been worked out. But we also see the fear fall upon them. They're not told why they are to meet this man, the man which greeted them so harshly, Zaphnat Paneah. They would have, were afraid that they would have, were accused of stealing the money. Even in this fear, they go to the doorkeeper to be able to explain the situation that this money was placed in our sacks. But the doorkeeper explains in verse 23, Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and your, the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now you cannot but wonder why the doorkeeper speaks like this. Again, Joseph knows exactly what is happening behind the closed doors. He knows who they are. They do not know who Joseph is. But you do not know the extent of how the servants know of what has happened in Joseph's part in this. But all of this would just be speculation. But now we see the twelve brothers together once more. In verses 26 to 34. It has been 20 years since the brothers, all 12 of them, had been together. Now, we do not know the age of Benjamin, specifically. So it's possible that Benjamin was born after Joseph was sold into slavery. But I think more likely is that that Joseph knew that his mother was dead. He does not ask about his mother in questions. The image of... of, um, of the twelve she's bowing down, or the eleven she's bowing down, is queer, clear to him that there's eleven, and if there was only ten brothers, that might have been a bit difficult for them to be able to understand. But it's quite possible that Benjamin was quite young when he was sold into slavery. So, at this point, the twelve sons of Israel are back together once more in one place. Joseph comes home, or Zaphnath Paneah comes home. I'm sure he's got a quite a busy schedule, the weight of the world upon his shoulders, feeding all nations that come unto him, feeding a whole nation of people through this, this food bank system. All people from all over the earth, we're told in chapter 41, that come to be able to meet Joseph to buy grain. But as he comes home, they all once more bow down before him. This is possibly the true fulfillment of those 11 sheaths bowing down. Before, not all 11 of them were there with Joseph. And again, he brings up their father, his father, Jacob. They bow their knee, their heads and prostrate themselves. But I think, finally, there's a reality before Joseph. That God is working in Joseph's heart just as well. That we're told in verse 29 that Joseph lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. The reality is finally before him. His compassion grew warm towards his brother, moved to tears. 
He is unable to be able to contain himself. So much so that he needs to be able to leave, run out of the room. And Joseph speaks a blessing over Benjamin. God be gracious to you. An echo which would become a blessing which is pronounced over all the tribes of Israel. As the priests would utter the the blessing from Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Or in Psalm 67, may the Lord God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. And he returns and he gives them a meal. The eleven brothers sit down and eat their meal. And Joseph leaves and eats his, his meal with the Egyptians. I think this shows that Joseph, although born an Israelite, really has would call himself at this time an Egyptian. He does not denounce God, but he has to some extent fulfilled and joined with the culture, not in a negative way. Joseph is a godly man. Again, a terrific study, like Daniel. Unique person who is clearly immersed in a culture, but does not let that culture rule him. This is a tremendous, but it is a rare sight in the scriptures that Joseph ate by himself. But then at some point he joins with them. We see that this is quite a joyous time as these 12 brothers are together once more. The portions were taken from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Again, we do not know the inner thoughts of Joseph. Potentially, this is a test to be able to see how they they treat Jacob's only son. But yet we see movement in this chapter. Slow movement of the hand of God. That Jacob, his heart is shifting. That Jacob is trusting in God. The twelve children of Israel are now in Egypt. It's not the seventy that we will see at the end of chapter 46. But we also see Joseph and his heart of compassion towards his brother Benjamin. That we might be able to understand his actions in chapter 44. But yet once more, we see God's slow moving hand of providence working. His hand moving and working in the hearts of a stubborn Joseph. We see uh, Jacob. We see his slow moving hand of providence across the lands. Across the scope of time. We cannot assume what is going through the minds of the people unless it is clearly stated. But as I pointed out, that Joseph at the age of 17 was probably not ready to be placed over the land of Egypt. But the 30-year-old Joseph, who served 13 years in the house of plenty and the house of famine in prison, was ready to be able to serve. But also this gradual stepping of him being exposed to his brothers was maybe the softening of Joseph's heart, that he was indeed afflicted, 
that God is softening Joseph's heart, that he might be able to, in, in a few chapters, be able to state and understand God's hand of providence working. Genesis chapter 45. He is able to turn to his brothers and say, Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these land two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. That here we see God's hand of providence moving slowly in hearts of two people and even more. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 27. Ask, what, thou, what dost thou understand by the providence of God? The answer is, the almighty everywhere present power of God, whereby it were by his hand. He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them, that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Chapter 43 is not mere chance that the twelve brothers find themselves in the land of Egypt before Zephnath Paneah. But they come by God's fatherly hand, carrying out his, his mission, his plan, his providence, to be able to fulfill the promise as once before, to be able to fulfill more promises in the future. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that we see your hand of providence moving slowly with your people. That here in this chapter we see that you are the one who is able to move and change the hearts of Jacob and even Joseph. That you're working to be able to carry out your plans. Help us to be able to trust in you as we see your hand at work in our lives. Whether it is rain or drought, fruitful or barren years, meat or drink, health or sickness, riches or poverty, that we would understand that it comes not by chance, but by your fatherly hand. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.